Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everybody, welcome back and we didn't really celebrate on here last week we hit 60 episodes so the episode with Beryl was our 60th episode we've been going we're just coming up a year this month oh maybe we have to celebrate that but because we've gone to the twice a week and I've had some bonus episodes we're at more than the 52 but isn't that exciting and we've hit um, over 1500 listens so thank you to everybody who is tuning in whether you are a regular listener or whether you are a first-time listener either way welcome and I'm so pleased that you're here with us so thanks to Beryl for the 60th episode and to Robert um, who joined us on Monday and I'm really excited to share this episode with Lee uh, I had a great conversation with Lee And for anyone who is kind of gearing up to start going back into the office, going back into work, uh, going back into school, uh, this is, I think, a really yeah timely conversation. We really talk about our work environments and the impact that they have on us and on our well-being, sleep. I mean, there is so, so much great, great wisdom that Lee shares with us. So it's a fantastic conversation. So I really hope that you enjoy it. Before we dive in, You may have seen last week on Wednesday, I did my first ever TEDx talk (laughs) where I shared my idea worth spreading. Uh, So if you haven't seen that, please do check it out. It's on the TEDx Froom page. And also I have shared it uh, on my Facebook page. So Psyche Coaching uh, is also on the TEDx Froom YouTube page. So yeah, check that out. Um, I feel like it's, it's obviously really exciting and I am really excited. But I didn't feel it was as nerve wracking as uh, kind of an in-person one would have been. Um, but who knows, the uh, the kind of the main event, if you like, is scheduled for March, all things being well. Uh, so who knows, maybe I will take it <laughs> to the main stage, uh, which just was kind of a bit surreal, but uh, yeah, super exciting. So check that out if you haven't already. And yeah, that's it. I'm not going to I'm not going to waffle on too, <laughs> too long at the beginning. I've got a couple of things to chat about after. Uh, so join me after that. But let's dive into this fantastic conversation with Lee. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back. And I'm really happy to welcome this week's guest, Lee, to the podcast. So Lee, welcome. And if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about you. Yep. So I'm Lee Chambers and I'm an environmental psychologist and wellbeing consultant. I'm based in Preston in the lovely sunny north. And a big part of my job involves looking at both sleep environments and workplace environments and optimising them to be regenerative for our well-being and bringing through leadership and management cultures that promote development of staff and treating staff like people rather than resources. And is that something that you hear quite a lot from individuals you work with, that their workplace treats them like a resource rather than like a person? It's definitely individual to each organisation that I work with, and they all start at a relatively different point on the spectrum. But in a big way, with the future of work moving towards people being assets, people actually being integrated into into business more than ever and that work-life integration as that increases people need to feel valued and appreciated 
to empower them to become leaders themselves and to be more innovative, more productive. And that then bleeds into their own lives, leading them to have more energy and passion to do the things that they want to do. And it's very much a regenerative cycle, which make, ultimately makes people go into work happy and come out of work happy. And that spreads happiness across relationships, through families, and just through the small interactions they have on a daily basis with the cashier, with the person they're walking by in the street. And those little moments of positivity resonance, they really add up. And that's kind of like my mindset and thesis on how we encourage people to not only treat each other better, but to have more pro-environmental behaviour and ultimately build a better world. Because I suppose work is such a big part of our lives and what we spend time doing. And And at the moment, that for a lot of people who I guess are in the lucky position of being able to work from home, that boundary is um, a little bit more vague, isn't it, for where work is and where home is. And if your work environment, even though it's a remote environment, is uh, negative in some ways, then that is it's in your house, isn't it? So it really you can't escape from it if it's there in your house. Yeah, I mean, it's a really challenging time because we generally have a a split environment between work and home. And we've got to consider that in our home environment, we quite often, well, we sleep, we live, and we sometimes educate, but not for many people. That's now become what a lot of people are doing, educating in a home environment for the first time. For a lot of people, remotely working in a home environment for the first time. And it's really challenging to set those environmental boundaries and switch between roles as one minute you're homeschooling in your dining room and then you're working in the kitchen and then you're trying to relax in your living room. And that separation, it it takes an element of skill to get that ability to connect and disconnect. And it actually takes you doing that with intention, which, to be honest, when we're so busy, it's easy to miss the intention and it all blur into one which is quite dangerous because that leads us to be constantly on, constantly being stimulated. And we work best when we're working ways. So we're on and we're off over the course of a day. We have ultradian rhythms, which run in our cells like little clocks. And they run between 60 to 90 minutes. And for every 10 minutes they're on, you really need to be looking at them being off for a minute or two. So I generally work with clients and say, if you're going to be working you know, working blocks, take an hour and then take 10 minutes to just disconnect from technology, from work, just go for a walk, just have a moment, you know, a few minutes silence where you just reflect on what you've done, allowing you to kind of take the take the planning from what you've said, you've been on a Zoom call. If you jump from Zoom call to Zoom call, what happens is you just, you your knowledge from the first one, you don't retain it through the second one. And then you'll forget what you needed to plan or you needed to implement from the first one. You'll lose the insights and the takeaways and it makes it difficult to process that. So it's really good to kind of get those gaps in your day. But that spills out into a bigger picture where you're then able to disconnect in the evening from work and enjoy times with your relationship or your hobbies. And then you you find it easier to disconnect when you sleep. So a big part of what I do is around looking at workplace environments and sleep environments. And now they're in the same building through isolation. It's even more challenging and even more important because over the course of a week, we spend 100 hours on average either working or sleeping. So them environments are absolutely vital because we we spend two thirds of our life in a work 
our sleeping environment. So to have them optimized, it's it's absolutely essential for our happiness, for our health, and just for our performance as human beings and fulfillment. Mm. I'm just thinking about the um, having those blocks of, of work. And if you think about if you're in the office, say, and I know not everyone listening or work in an office, but if you think of that scenario, you'll you'll get to a certain point and you'll go and make a coffee and maybe have a chat to someone. And that's having that little break, that little downtime. And we maybe don't plan it in the same way, but we're doing it. And and as you were, were saying that, I was thinking um, back to my teaching days and revision and, and talking to students about their revision timetables and that they need to do blocks and there's no point doing like five hours of revision because it won't go in and having those breaks and I think it's something that in education is kind of instilled in children but as we become adults and go into the workplace we seem to forget that actually we should have these breaks and have those blocks of time that we're focused and then that downtime I think we just I don't know forget (laughs) forget that message and uh, yeah feel we have to be productive all day which is not achievable without these no and I mean it's well researched it's called the water cooler effect so people gather around and have that disconnection 10 minutes chit chat and yeah people oh it's fault that's not productive but it disconnects us from work and that allows us to when we go back to our desk so to speak attach more deeply to the next task if you continue to go through and try to keep it up over the course of a day you don't only burn out but we can only work on such a deep level for probably four hours a day. And that's at the elite level where athletes are training for four hours a day. Obviously, having a background in sports as well, I've kind of seen there's only so long you can operate at that really deep, hardworking level before you know you, you tire out and you're just not able to operate. We are limited in that capacity, but workplaces seem to drag us out for eight hours. And realistically, we're going to, we're going to, at our peak, do four hours of great work and then, you know, a few hours of monkey work, work that doesn't really require that concentration and attention, such as shuffling emails and all that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it's not really designed with optimal performance in mind. And strangely, when companies and countries such as Finland try four day work weeks, they actually become, people become more productive, more effective because it's an, quite an antiquated way, the nine to five, almost taken from the industrial revolution days. And as we've, we've evolved and our understandings got wider, that's not really changed. And I kind of, a big part of me is going in and helping companies understand, you know, these frameworks. Why do you subscribe to a nine to five? There's people who have chronotypes, sleep chronotypes, who work really effectively, really, really early in the morning. And there's people who have sleep chronotypes where they're they're not really properly awake and functioning until 11 o'clock in the morning, yet everyone's coming in at the same time. And you lose the people who have like a chronotype that's slap bang in the middle. They're perfect. They're, They're performing from a sleep level exactly in the window where they want to be. But you've got people you're not utilizing. Why do we have to be so rigid? Because things need to be more flexible. And given what's happened over the past few months, companies have had to become flexible and innovative very quickly. And sometimes it does take crisis for us to shift out of that status quo 
and actually look to think, okay, well, there, there, there are problems now. We could have prevented this years ago by starting to implement the technologies and acclimatizing change and helping people to find well, what works for you. For some people, a few days working from home is perfect, but they still need that office interaction and still want to come in for three days. For some people, they could work autonomously from home all week and that would be heaven for them. For other people, working from home doesn't work. We all have a very much bespoke environmental needs, but companies need to be aware of this because every employee matters. Every employee has their own need. And if we can start looking at employees as individuals who we can optimise and basically get them happier, healthier and working in a way that they want to, they start to feel appreciated. They have the autonomy of choice and that allows them to really thrive and push on. And that means a much better employee and a much better person as a human. And why wouldn't we want that for all our employees and the people around us? Hmm, Absolutely. And hopefully that might be a, a positive to come out of all this, that workplaces, as they start to adjust back to, and again, thinking of the sort of office type work where people have been working from home, I think for a lot of organisations, there maybe will be a gradual return with more flexibility about home working or in the office. So maybe that will be a positive that individuals will be able to kind of tailor how they work to their individual situation, how they work best. So fingers crossed <laughs> for that. So I would love to really dive into your story a little bit and how you came to be doing what you're doing now. So you mentioned briefly about having worked within sports and and your role and uh, the focus you have. But how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, so I mean, it's been quite a journey and I'll make it relatively uh, brief and digestible because I could be here all day. Uh, but yeah, I at university, I studied international business psychology and I was always interested in not going really, really specific into one industry, niching down, because in many ways, my theory on life is that we should have a good body of knowledge across a range of subjects because they all integrate, they're not isolated and nothing like in our world really works in an isolated way. So it was really, I, I enjoyed that element of university because I got to do comparative politics, I got to do a language, I got to do lots of business principles, psychology principles and stuff around history and geography that tied in. So I got a real wide breadth of knowledge. And I was still at that point in my life, you know, I was I was young, trying to decide what I want to do, what difference I want to make. And I kind of started to dial in on the fact that I like the psychology of people and I like the accounting and finance of business. So I then went off on my graduate career to be a financial advisor so I could help people with their financial well-being and also get myself deep into the figures and statistics, which I, I'm quite technical and like that kind of thing. Uh, so this was 2007 when I graduated and I got a job at a national bank on their graduate pathway through finance to become a financial advisor. And unfortunately, six months later, the credit crunch bit and people above me started being made redundant. Uh, within a week, I'd been pulled in and told that my professional qualification had been taken away. They weren't willing to fund it. And then a further week, I was pulled in again to say, you're being made redundant effectively. So that was a big shock six months out and suddenly your master plan of, oh, I'm going to get a job and, you know, build a career from here. Uh, it was gone. So that led me to a place where I had to really think, okay, so I'm going to reassess it. 
So I went working for a local government authority, local council, and working in productivity and efficiency management of their processes. So that, again, gave me a different viewpoint. I started to understand how you navigated through local government. Uh, but also, it was a much more relaxed job, which allowed me to build a video game business. And that video game business, in a very you know tangible way, grew very quickly. And that led me to be quite busy. But it also started to give me the finance and the flexibility to do professional qualifications. So that led me to start to take on level four qualifications alongside my work in my business. And I went through college and did performance in human nutrition qualification, a strength and conditioning qualification, and started my football coaching badges. So that really started to broaden my horizon and understanding of physiology. And that moved me through to a job where I was helping unemployed people back into the workplace. So again, that was great because I was helping build the confidence and the mindset preparing them for interview and helping them align to what they actually wanted to do so that we were targeting the right jobs where they could go and say, you know, I'm passionate about this. And yeah, I've had my challenges, but you know, this is something that I want to do and I can prove it and really stand there in front of a panel and say, you know, I really like this job. It's for me. So that really put a little fuel in my fire of this helping people and building people's confidence. It feels great. It's really fulfilling. Now with my, my qualifications, that led me to work for a sports coaching agency. So I started with them and went into the world of elite sport, which was really interesting. Suddenly I'm looking at the absolute pinnacle cutting edge of performance, the amount of money that's spent, the levels of experimentation, and you're rubbing shoulders with all these interesting people. So it was eye-opening about exactly what it's like right at that, you know, at that peak and how much money and time and effort is spent for 0.1% performance gains on a Saturday afternoon. But also it slightly altered my worldview and made me see, well, if, if this effort and this money and this experimentation was funneled down to society at a lower level, at the people who really need the health outcomes bolstering, it'd make a massive difference instead of just getting someone to run a little bit faster or kick something a little bit harder or throw something a little bit further. And so, yeah, that kind of, that made me think, well, maybe it's, maybe it's my job to go in and make society better. And just as I was thinking about that and mulling it over, I became unwell and lost the ability to walk. And that started a whole new chapter in my life. And that was a decision that was ultimately taken out of my hands and happened to me. But and I now look back and realise as I went through the resilience and the mindset of recovering, it was very, very challenging. My wife was six months pregnant. My son was 18 months old. And suddenly I was in a hospital bed unable to move. My joints were attacked by my own immune system and locked in place. I wasn't able to show myself, feed myself properly. So I went from fully independent, fully mobile to losing that over the course of a week. And I lay there at first and felt a bit, oh, you know, why me? This seems unfortunate. I'm 29. <laughs> I've been looking after myself and this is this is a bit of a difficult situation I find myself in but I soon catalyzed and alchemized that to become and to realize I've been ungrateful for all these things that I had all these comforts all these opportunities all the things that I'd done and especially for my mobility and my health I'd just been a usual 29 year old man thinking I was bulletproof and everything had always be fine and yeah, I got a real hit dose of realism and through that suffering, I actually started to become more grateful 
and more resilient and more mindful of the world. And it really changed my view. And I went through walking rehab, through hydrotherapy and through physiotherapy to get myself back on my feet. And I was of the mindset that I was going to be walking when my daughter was walking. She was born not long after I came out of hospital. And I then was, I had the power of the why. I had that real fire inside me that I was going to be running about in the garden with my children. And when you've got a real powerful why, that's a motive that gives you motivation every morning when when you're in pain, when your joints are stiff, when your muscles are aching to really go and do those exercises and go and do that training that you need to get back on your feet. And that ownership is massive if you want to take something a bit further and really push those boundaries. And for me, I took ownership over my chronic disease and I took ownership over my health outcomes and I said, you know, for me, if I own it and be accountable, I'm not going to sit here in my wheelchair and take my medication and hope. I'm going to make it happen. So I'm going to attack it as much as this disease is attacking me. And I was back up on my feet after 11 months and walked a mile unaided. And my daughter walked not long after. So that was really fulfilling. Um, and that then set me on a journey to say, how can I take my qualifications, my lived experience, my experience of navigating different industries to help other people? I went and did an additional sleep qualification. So I had a more broader physiological spectrum and started doing psychological qualifications as well to look at the wider picture. And I also started to optimize my own sleep, nutrition and movement with the quest to become medication free, which I'll achieve next month amazingly with the help of my consultant so yeah that all took me into a space of where I wanted to coach individuals to help them through the challenges that I went through and empower them to take ownership and find the direction in their own purpose so they had the power of the why they had how to achieve it and they had what they needed to do in small actionable steps that they could then take responsibility for and run with and that's now extrapolated out into this, the subset of that, which is doing that in organizations where I want to change culture. I want to broaden horizons. I still go into communities and schools and talk about my story to help the next generation understand that you're not going to, your life isn't always going to go up. It's going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. Your career will be like that. Your relationships will be like that. But you've got to see and be responsible for understanding that life isn't always Life isn't always great. Life isn't always happy. But you're going to bounce back every time. As long as you believe you can, you will bounce back. And sometimes you'll bounce back higher because we all grow so much through suffering. Mm, Definitely the why is something that we've talked about in the podcast before. It's such a powerful motivator if you can figure out what that thing is for you that, that gives you that purpose and that motivation. And the other thing that really struck me from your your story and your experience is that in all these different roles you did, you really reflected on what you really enjoyed or um, what you wanted to work on more or um, even through the challenges, that reflection of, what okay, what can I learn from this? What can I do differently? And I think sometimes for a lot of us that's missing, that we're not reflecting. And actually I was thinking back to when I finished university and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I don't think I really did that reflecting so much of, okay, what really appeals to me? What's the right direction? I just sort of fell into something and I guess I've been fumbling along ever since. (laughs) But that actually um, really looking at different situations, what you've learned, what you're inspired to find out more and and I guess having more of a, um, 
I don't know that control is the right word because life is inherently unpredictable. Oh yeah. But having more more of that focus of that that choice of okay, this is everything that I've I've done. What do I want to choose to go on to, or what am I going to take from this? And in the challenging situations, okay, what can I learn? What can I do different? What can I actively do rather than just let it happen to me? And I think that's very true through all of your story. That kind of reflective. Um, approach and that's something again that we talk about here about really being able to check in with yourself and know yourself and uh, and so I think your story is a really powerful demonstration of that and how I think with career and we we talk about career a bit but obviously we're kind of focused on individual experience rather than just one particular area but with career um, I think there's this real fear sometimes of Oh, I've gone into this job, but it's not the right one for me. So I've wasted all of that time. And but actually, as you've just demonstrated, there are these really transferable skills that you can take across, or they can build on to, I guess, create a path for yourself. Focus really on what you're interested in. Yeah, and it's like when I speak in education, I do quite often speak about the fact that for some careers, such as teaching, uh, a lot of medical professions. Uh, you know, counselling and coaching, reflective practice is built into your job role. Well, why isn't reflective practice taught in school? It's amazingly powerful, but also it's really vital for helping people to continually pivot and get the clarity on where they're going. And to have that skill honed when you're young, it's incredibly powerful. And I kind of tie that into, you know, the understanding of ownership. So, you have the reflective practice, you get clear on what's worked and what's not. And we don't attach emotion to when, when we fail, we actually like unpick it apart and find the little nuggets of gold that are in every failure and mistake that we make. And if we can do that, especially, you know, when we're younger, suddenly we're, we're empowered to make decisions that change the world really. And it's something that for all the technical skills we learn in education, that's a skill that keeps giving you throughout your life. And the, the young, the younger children now who are growing up in our education system, they're going to come out into a world where portfolio careers will be the norm. You will have to be cognitively flexible to go and relearn when your job becomes automated or redundant or parts of your job are taken away by algorithms or robots. And that's the reality of the life that we're going to lead. And so in many ways, those transversal skills, such as emotional intelligence, such as cognitive, cognitive flexibility and the ability to communicate effectively and understand other people, the skills to actively listen and ask powerful questions. That's really what we should be focused on in, in, in school. And in so many ways, those are the skills that will help us not only through our challenging times, but also to become more innovative and more creative. And school is all about at the moment finding the answer and life isn't really full of answers you can find the answer for so many things in life but that doesn't help you navigate yourself it doesn't help you navigate others so this principle of right you need to find the answer show how you found the answer well done here's a piece of paper to say you can move on to the next area of your life but it's a bit like it's a bit backwards because to discover yourself and to reflect requires the ability to ask powerful questions, not only of the world and other people, but of yourself. And it's something that it's, it's so obvious to see when you navigate the psychological world and see how people attach, identify and interact with things. But 
it seems it seems it just seems underutilized in our in the youth of today. And they face more and more challenges than we ever have as they live in a world of social media and technology that's built to take advantage of our psychological hooks and is built to keep us away from understanding ourselves in many ways. And so it's even more important for them to have the skills, but we're still a bit stuck in an old educational system producing people for careers. And I think careers is a word that's probably going to start to change because it's we're not really going to have that career. We're going to have to kind of create our own pathway and direction and work and life are slowly integrating more and more. And it's about understanding how we balance that integration and understand that, the, you know, really, it's not work and life. It's just life. And work is part of that. But we have to try and shape that so it fits with our life. Really, life by design is what makes fulfilled humans and happy people. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose it's if you can completely design your life and and how you work and all of that so it perfectly suits you, then that's the ideal and amazing. But that's not always going to be true for everyone, depending on the roles. But of course, there was something else you said about the the gratitude, and that's something that I talk about on the podcast. That the power of having that regular practice of Think about what you're grateful for. And and I noticed with myself yesterday, so I built up this gratitude practice and I've uh, put more effort into kind of trying to, I guess, speak from the heart a bit more, which was something that was a bit kind of didn't really do that before. It was a bit awkward. And um, I've, I've done all my social media posts for this week. And this week I'm focusing on sensitivity. And I'd written something. And when I read it, I was like, I would not have written this like months ago. (laughs) I would have like cringed, but I wrote it and it was just, it didn't feel awkward because I completely, by having this practice of of appreciation, I kind of shifted um, in myself and it hadn't, it had been a subtle thing and making the most out of situations and finding the joy in moments. And so even if your role is not your dream and your, your life is not completely designed the way that you would love it to be actually if you can have those shifts in your mindset and appreciate what you have and find those moments of joy then I guess it um you can still have this great quality of life even if it's not your dream job that makes sense oh yeah I mean like you say what happens is if you practice gratitude on a daily basis it shifts your mindset and you start to see things you're grateful for and you start to see the world in a more positive light. And that's because really a big part due to our reticular activating system and other parts of our brain, which with practice, we can see, but we can only really see what we focus on. And when we when we go through that practice of being grateful for things, we start to go deeper and deeper and understand that even the most simple things like the teacup we have in the morning, the little moments. And it's like to, to think that we... For, for me, when I'm looking at gratitude, it started off with the big things that are obvious and then it, it becomes more deeper in a work and you realise it's the tiny little moments, those little micro moments of happiness that you actually become really grateful for. And the more you think about those and the more you start to de- detail them down, the more you start to see them and it actually starts to almost embed into your life, these little moments of gratitude. And again, 
what I say, and a lot of my clients, they don't have massive amounts of control over the job and the work day, but we all have more control over our AM or our PM. And it's about trying to build little practices into those bookends of the day. And quite often I'll suggest it in the morning, if you can, you know, possibly fit in some meditation or a little positive podcast, this would be a great one to listen to in the morning. Very enlightening. And, you know, maybe read a book or a little bit of exercise, just something for you, a bit of self-care as the first thing that you do in the morning after you've washed your face and you've hydrated. And that puts you in a positive frame of mind before you jump into other people's worlds, into email, into work, into social media or news. And that starts the idea of having that reflective practice every morning. And then having something similar at night where you possibly have a digital sunset, you put your devices away, you sit there and you contemplate your day, you think what went well, what could I improve on, you know, what are the highlights and you actually start to think what what am I going to do tomorrow, maybe I'll jot that down. Maybe I'll look at what my bigger goals are and my shorter term goals and just start to write and journal and look and think. And it's actually quite good to just get it out of your, out of your mind before you go to sleep and allow you to disconnect rather than have these things ruminating through your mind as you're thinking, trying to go to sleep. So, yeah, I mean, many of us don't have massive amounts of control. There's always a few minutes of every day you can give towards either gratitude or mindfulness something positive and it only takes that few minutes and if you do it every day it becomes a practice that then fuels and it compounds so it starts off feeling like it doesn't really make any difference and then after six months you start noticing these little things oh hmm, i wouldn't normally have thought like that then after a year it starts to compound even more and you can stack these little things together to make little stacks of positivity in your day and that could be first thing in the morning and then that makes your day great it could be before night and that helps you sleep better, which cycles again as it compounds because you sleep you sleep more soundly, have better sleep quality and quantity, and then you wake up the next day even more refreshed and ready to go. And then sometimes it's about having having little things around to just inspire you and motivate you. I have a little icky guy card on my bedside cabinet. It's the first thing I look at in the morning just to remind me exactly what I'm going to do, my mission, my bigger picture, and what I'm looking to try and change in the world. And just looking at that just fuels me up and gets me out of bed without snoozing on my alarm and I'm ready I've got a mission and I'm on that mission so yeah little moments of positivity really add up Mm. I uh (laughs) when you said about not snoozing the alarm I used to be notorious for that but I've given myself uh my my new weekday schedule I have um the time my alarm goes off and then I have 15 minutes snooze but that is it then I get up so there's kind of I have the little psychological like oh I'm not getting up yet but it's a fixed time. And actually, since I've kind of made that allowance for myself, I've stuck with it. Whereas before, I'd just be like, oh, just snooze it. So <laughs> it's something that yeah. it works for me. It gives me that, um, yeah, I, I think I've had much more positive starts in the morning when I've kind of done this little adjustment. So it's kind of meeting myself in the middle, a bit of a snooze, but um, clear boundary <laughs> when I have to get up. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's that bright line and you're keeping that promise to yourself in the morning. The problem when we snooze incessantly is we've promised ourselves we're going to wake up at a certain time. And then we keep breaking that promise and breaking that promise and breaking that promise. And our subconscious doesn't like breaking promises to itself. That really stacks up into you, you feeling that actually, you know, I'm not treating my authentic self with truth and consideration 
and that little things like that can affect your day because really many of us need to wake up with an alarm we have a socially defined wake up time but an alarm is a little bit of an intrusion on our privacy especially if we're quite deeply asleep and it's difficult to start the day like that sometimes when the first thing you have is someone taking your autonomy away and some electronic device buzzing next to you saying you've got to get up now that's it (laughs) and I also think it's such a nice feeling isn't it when you you know when you look at the clock and you're like oh I don't have to get up yet I've got a bit longer (laughs) um so actually now it gives me that bit of a feeling but what I do before is I'd snooze the alarm and my phone now has a five minute snooze every five minutes so it's not really any nice amount of time before it goes off again so now having this 15 minutes actually I can feel that I've had a nice little bit of extra kind of snuggled up in my duvet and then when it goes the second time I'm usually like I'm ready then to get up and I've got that kind of hard rule then yes that's quite nice (laughs) anyway um, I've got some set questions I ask everyone and because we've sort of been throwing the word joy around a little bit and that's my first one I'd love to uh, dive into these so my first question for you is what always boosts your mood or what brings you joy in your life? Um, it's spending time with my children. Simply, they just, they are themselves and it just makes me happy to see them expressing and that, that hunger of children for knowledge, for understanding, they're willing to explore and adventure. And we lose that as adults. It's almost beaten out of us with a stick. And when I see them, I I cultivate that and I help them understand how and why we should try and keep that. Adults who play are so much more creative and so much more fulfilled. And all these little things that, you know, children do so innocently and they just do as being children. And yeah, sometimes being a big child's a great thing, but I'm just fulfilled by spending time with them and seeing how they see the world and understanding how they navigate. And that, that, just brings me that just brings me a certain amount of happiness that you can't you can't really get from trying to connect with things with technology I mean I see so many people now who you know the kids are kids are one place and they're stuck on the phone and it's just you're missing some moments that you'll never get back and that's a big thing for me so I really consciously spend time to enjoy the interesting questions the not so interesting questions and the completely out there questions <laughs> and just understanding how that how they tick and that is that is joy in itself mm. I think we often obviously talk about what children can learn from adults but don't so often think about what we can learn from children um, and I think there's lots of lessons there and there of being in the moment of not being afraid so much of what people think particularly younger children and as you as they get older you can see when that becomes a thing but for younger children they're just like just out there they don't care they're just living yep. their lives and it's great they're creative there and I and yeah I think we lose so much of that so um we can learn so much from them so yeah so my next question is what makes life meaningful for you so it's definitely my clarity on my purpose and my mission to make a difference and impact as many people's well-being and understanding the world as I can and I, I that, that that power of bringing awareness and threading that through my journey to help other people see that it's not in many ways we all we all our lives are a story and it's about expressing that story and helping people connect the dots in their own story because we all have the underlying purpose and like we said previously 
quite often it, it requires you to stop and reflect, to start to weave together all the different things that you've done, the places that you've been, the friends that you've made, the experiences that you've had, and start to see why those experiences were good, why those experiences were possibly negative, but what positivity you got from the negativity and actually start to see this is my underlying purpose. This is why I'm here. And we all kind of are on this planet in some way or form to reach our potential, to have a happy life, to help others. And we all have our individual missions on how we want to achieve that. And once we get connected to that, it makes life purposeful. It makes you wake up in the morning with energy to make a difference. And having that direction, even on the days when you're on the side of your mountain path, climbing up to ascent where you want to go and it's incredibly windy and you have to stop and the cliff face above you is icy and steep and you're looking and you're thinking, I'm not going to make any progress today. You know you can just get your backpack out, sit there for a minute and just wait for the calm to come. It will come again. It's never a wholly positive life. We survive as a species because we have a negative bias. So you're going to see that. You're going to have that negative self-talk sometimes. But it's just about kind of, you know, dissolving down and not attaching emotion to everything because that doesn't allow us to reflect if everything is emotionally charged. So, yeah, for me, it's having that mission, having that purpose and living towards that. I think the biggest thing is just making that little bit of progress every day and it might only be a tiny little bit of progress, the babyest of steps. But I've got a big mission, and it's like a statue in the future, but I've taken a sledgehammer to it and smashed it into thousands of pieces. And each of those fragments, I can do a little bit of that, a little one of those every day, and feel a little bit closer to that grand mission. Mm-hmm. And it's all about putting in those achievable steps, isn't it? Because if we just focus on that end goal, we can just be overcome with how far away it is and how overwhelming it is. How will I get there? Like you, like you were saying, but by breaking it down into those small steps, they're way more achievable. And then, then you have that sense of, oh, look, I'm getting closer. And then it, it's like a snowball, isn't it? You feel that motivation because you can then see how far you've come. Um, you can look back down the mountain, to use your analogy. And uh, uh, although I'm not a big fan of heights, thank you for that uh, so we're all about mental wellness here and so we've obviously touched a lot on uh, things to do with your work environment and work and how those can impact and, and sleep and but I, I really I ask all the guests that come on to just uh, answer these two questions about mental wellness and what it means to you so the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you and then the second is how you look after your own mental well-being. Yeah, so mental wellness is, for me, it's two facets. It's obviously bolstering our own mental health, but then taking it that step further by being proactive to almost train our mind to become more resilient and to become stronger. So in many ways for me, bolstering our mental health it does require us to have an understanding of our thoughts and our feelings, how we behave. And that does take some stepping back almost sometimes into like a third person where you're looking at yourself, what navigating the world and trying to understand. And by going through that process of starting to understand how 
we work as humans and how you tick really helps you navigate the world in a more positive way. And it helps you understand that not everything will be positive. We have lots of negative thoughts and that ability to not jump into every one and let some float by as the, as the, you know, as the, like the cloud analogy of all those thoughts just flowing through our brain. We have 60,000 thoughts every day and so many of them are linked to past experiences or fears of the future. So kind of understanding those states that we find ourselves in every day, that helps us keep, you know, mentally well, but we can actually be proactive in training us, training our minds through meditation, through mindfulness and start to connect with how we can actually become more stronger mentally. I mean, really, it's like a muscle. When you're actively in meditation and you're learning to, you know, connect to your body, connect to your breath and dissolve and diffuse from thoughts, more blood goes to your prefrontal cortex. And it's the effective equivalent of doing the gym for your brain. And that makes you stronger, less likely to get injured, less likely to find yourself in situations where conflicts and upset and you, you start to be able to channel those more negative emotions in a less negative way. And that in itself compounds to you know, improve our mental wellness and protect us from the challenges we face in life. And in some ways, you can get to a point where your mental health challenges actually become fuel for you to become stronger mentally. And that kind of mindset shift and that ability to see things differently and to understand that sometimes things happen to you, the external environment is mostly out of our control, but our internal locus of control is always how we react, how we choose to see a situation and understanding that two people's perception and perspective is different. In fact, everyone has their own individual perspective and perspective. So you thinking that someone should see something a certain way it's only ever going to frustrate you because they see things their way and you see things your way. Absolutely. I'm reading um, The Chimp Paradox at the moment. I don't know if you've um, you've read it. Yeah, yeah uh, which is great. And it's, uh, yeah, the uh, other people's chimps. And so if you <laughs> just your chimp responds to their chimp and then it's just all chaos, basically, because, yep. <laughs> you know, and it's that. Uh, I guess uh, part of it is those if the, the things that irritate you, if they're an absolute deal breaker and it's something that that person does and they're happy doing it, then you cannot make them change. You either have to accept it or walk away, basically, because you can't change people. And I think so many of us try to or we, um, oh, they'll, they'll change or I'll I think, uh, yeah, accepting people a bit more is uh, really important. And so that book, um, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a really nice way of conceptualising the brain and and how we function and in a really uh, easily accessible format. So Oh, definitely. Accepting other people, but also learning to accept ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've talked about mindset um, a fair amount throughout this. And I always challenge I say challenge because when I ask this question, quite often guests go, oh, um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I challenge them to describe their own mindset. So. so, yeah, I suppose my mindset is one of life is full of challenges. I've grown so much, so much through my suffering that I almost want to attract more challenge and 
my mindset really is being proactive. So when challenges hit me, such as the challenge that we're having at the moment, I now see that as a chance, an opportunity for creativity, for changing culture, for disrupting the status quo. And I think through all my work, my experiences, and as I've grown to navigate and understand myself, it suddenly becomes where I don't see things as a threat. I see things as a challenge. And I think that's the biggest shift in my mindset as I've navigated through this. And when you see things as a challenge instead of a threat, it changes your response. You start to see the gaps, the potential, the possibility for gain and the possibility to make change rather than standing on your back foot and being reactive. That proactive challenge mindset is what I really identify with in myself and that really propels me forward in life. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, So uh, I always ask guests that are on the podcast to leave the listeners between one and three tips of things that they can try out in their life. And we have a toolbox approach because it's, as we've already said, it's an individual thing. The the work is an individual thing. The setup is best for you. So uh, we basically throw a load of ideas in the toolbox and people can try, try them on and see what works for them. So do you have one to three tips that you would recommend people have a go at? Yeah. So the first one would be when you wake up in the morning, don't look at your phone. Do something. The first thing you should be doing something for yourself in your own world. So let it be meditation, mindfulness, silence or prayer. And that helps you start the reflective practice of starting a day with a little bit of reflection. So that would be my first one. Uh, My second one would be look to find exactly what type of sleep works for you. So experiment a bit with your sleep environment experiment with the time you go to bed and look to build in a little sleep routine because sleep is the fundamental driver of performance and the fundamental indicator of health so it's absolutely vital and so many of us see it as a luxury when really it's a necessity and the third one is just have an experimenter's mindset so there's so much advice out there but never take someone else's advice because that's either what works for them or what they believe. We have to spend our life putting a lab coat on and being like a scientist, like we're back at school in the lab doing an experiment and it goes wrong and you're like, okay, so right, added too much of that, not enough heat. Right, okay, so that's some data to go with. That's not right. Let's try again. Try again. Nope, not right again. We need that kind of mindset with things in our life. We need to experiment with ourselves. We're all bio-individual. In so many ways, we have our own genetic makeup, our own gene expression, our own microbiome, our own neurodiversity. Why should we be looking to other people for what we are? We are what we are. We are authentically ourselves. And when you actually experiment, you start to trust yourself more, have more authority within yourself. And that spreads massively into so many different areas of your life. Mm. Um, I love well all of them, but especially that one uh, because I talk a bit about experimental living, which is that same thing of just trying stuff out to figure out what works for you. So I absolutely echo that. And when we were talking about failure earlier, I was thinking about this this idea of science because actually the whole point of science is to fail at <laughs> stuff and to test it. You yeah. can't prove a theory true; you can only prove it wrong. 
So you're constantly just trying to prove it wrong and adapt. Um, and actually, if we do more of that in our own life and have that view towards failure of, okay, that didn't work, how can I adapt it? I think it's a much healthier mindset to be in because, like you said, that emotion is separated from it. It's just that I tried it, didn't work, let's reassess. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing those. The last question I always ask is where can people connect with you online if they're interested, if they're interested in working with you on a professional level in their workplace or connecting with you and finding out more about your work? Where can people find you? So you can find me on my personal website, which is leechambers.org, my professional website, which is essentialized.co.uk, and I'm on Instagram at Essentialized Coach and Twitter at Essentialized. Perfect. And we can link in the show notes as well so people can easily find you from there. Thank you so much, Lee. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And I mean, psychology is my <laughs> my big interest. So I always love diving into that and talking about the brain and, and uh, rhythms and all that kind of stuff. So I've really enjoyed it and um, hearing your story and uh, some really key reminders for people, I think, about the, the choice that we can have and how we can design on our lives to an extent to be the, the way that we'd like them to be so thank you so much it's been a pleasure hannah so thanks again to lee and my top takeaway from the whole episode was really that importance of reflection and you know as a teacher as a coach um there's some of those professions that lee mentioned that are all about reflection and and honestly, the reflective journals I had to do when I was doing my teacher training. And at the time, you're like, oh, what is this about? But it's something that I've really come to appreciate the power of. And, and as I mentioned, I sort of wish uh, when I was at uni, I'd sort of taken that time or even before and really kind of reflected on the things that I enjoyed, the things that I was good at, uh, rather than just kind of running this script that a lot of us do of what we should do or the way that we should go. But also, I think one of the great things is Lee, with Lee is he talks about the challenges that he's been through, but he sees them as a way to kind of develop and grow and to learn from. And I think that is a really positive mindset spin to put on things. So I think if we are, you know, as I'm doing a little bit, kind of go, oh, it's a bit frustrating. I wish I'd done this reflection before. Actually, everything that I've been through, everything uh, that's got me to where I am now has made me who I am. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I am at the moment so um yeah I, th- I think so much great stuff you know gratitude we talk about a lot on the podcast reflection uh, such brilliant skills to develop um a couple of things so I, <laughs> I mentioned about my my sleep schedule in this where I was doing my 15 minute snooze um and what's interesting is that has completely gone now <laughs> because uh I've for the last month yeah it is a month now I've just rounded out four weeks of going to the gym every Monday to Friday. Now the gym's open again. And so actually my sleep pattern has massively improved because of this, because I think I'd slipped from the schedule <laughs> that I'd said with Lee into just snoozing my alarm again, which shows it's so easy to kind of fall back in into those habits. But now my alarm goes at six in the week and I get straight up. I don't snooze it because that is the sort of latest I can get up to then be ready to leave to get to the gym on time. And because of their extra their extra practices for uh, keeping people safe, the coronavirus, they have a tight window. You have an hour, that's it. So they can do a deep clean um, before the next kind of batch of people come in. So 
I basically am sleeping as long as I can and then I'm not snoozing I'm getting up and going and to kind of counteract that I am trying to start sort of the wind down going to bed reading by 10 and then lights out for 11 so kind of seven hours sleep and considering I'm someone there four and a half five and a half hours sleep was good before um yeah sometimes I don't sleep the whole time sometimes it takes me a while to settle but trying to have those seven hours of kind of chilled lights out and I'm yeah I'm feeling the positive benefits and I think absolutely want to echo that importance of a routine and it will look different for everyone at different points in your life it might look different but it's finding what works for you and at the moment this is what works for me back when we recorded this that's what worked for me (laughs) so it changes and and because of other things that are going on um but like today today I'm recording this on Saturday and um I got up at seven because I wasn't going to the gym till eight because we had a bank holiday to fit my (laughs) to fit in my five day a week program which is one of the things that's helping me stay motivated because it's I can't really miss a day because then I've got like a body area that's not even worked out and I had to come on a Saturday basically is my point but so I had an extra hour sleep to kind of still fit to that routine and I was thinking oh I'm gonna have a nap at some point in mid-morning and it's now 20 past three I haven't had a nap yet might have a power nap later who knows because actually once I kind of got up and got going I wasn't really tired enough to then want to go to bed and nap because I think sometimes it's that that immediate kind of groggy feeling when you first wake up and you think oh I don't want to get up I want to stay in bed but you know, I, I think like uh, Lee said, it's that kind of promise to myself. My promise to myself is I'm doing this for my physical health, yes, but mostly for my mental health. For me, my gym routine is is mostly about my mental health. Uh, so I'm getting up, I'm doing it. And then once I'm up, I'm up actually, and I'm, I'm quite awake. So, and then I've got a whole other routine that kicks in. But yeah, routines, I sometimes struggle to stick to them. But at the moment, I've I've got one that is working for me. And I'm just taking it a day as a time at day. Can't talk today, just taking it a day at a time. And as long as that schedule keeps working for me, well, that routine keeps working for me trying to stick to it. The chimp paradox I mentioned uh, in this episode, finished reading that book, it is a great book, I would 100% recommend it. Um, as I said, a great way of kind of trying to figure out or try to understand the mind and how it works and it it has this model that isn't actually based on the brain chemistry the brain structure just on kind of the way it operates so it's um, much more accessible so if you're not a massive brain geek like me (laughs) it's really accessible it is a long book but really good there's great stuff about relationships communication Uh, I would 100% recommend it Uh, we read it with the uh, mindset and more book club that uh, the mindset coach Lucy on Instagram and I kind of do and we are reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F, I won't swear, (laughs) at the moment. So if you uh, want to read that and then join us to kind of chat about it afterwards, our little mindset uh, book club, I say ours, I feel like I'm I'm just basically hanging on Lucy's coattails because this was her baby, but she graciously invited me to be involved and I'm very thankful for that. So yeah, if you want to get involved, check out my Instagram or Lucy's, so Mindset Coach Lucy. Um, I'll check where underscores and stuff are <laughs> and put a link in the show notes to her. So absolutely uh, check check that out and read with us if you like. And yeah, the, the, the last thing that I want to mention is this Thursday, so 10th, of September I had to kind of think what month we're in then <laughs> so this Thursday is World Suicide Prevention Day and there's going to be events going on all around the world 
raising awareness about suicide, having conversations and um, really kind of thinking about what we can do to prevent suicides occurring, uh, how we can support people. And so at Psyche, we are having a discussion panel. We are being joined by some previous and future guests. Uh, We have five guests, all of whom I have interviewed, but some haven't had their episodes released yet. Uh, They're all fab and kind of bringing a real mix of personal and professional perspectives on on suicide to that discussion. So we'll be streaming live to the Facebook page uh, at Psyche Coaching at 8pm UK time on a Thursday and really just having an open conversation about suicide, why it is so taboo, some of the myths and misunderstandings, what we can do as a society, what we can do as professionals, what we can do if we are concerned about a loved one, just really just having a conversation about it and kind of, I guess, normalising in a way that this is an experience that that people go through and actually there is still so much shame around the subject that makes it hard for people to talk about. And when it's hard for people to talk about, it means it can be more difficult to feel able to access help or to know that actually so many of us have the, have suicidal feelings at some point in our lives. And actually most people won't go on to um, attempt suicide. So I think it's about knowing that that in itself is is kind of, unfortunately part of the human experience but that there is help there is hope there is support and yeah and and I don't know where I'm going with this but <laughs> basically that's kind of what it's all about having this conversation and as you know we want to raise awareness around uh, everything mental health and challenge misconceptions because I think when people know more when they hear more stories and they can try and understand more I just think it, it can help us be kinder, more compassionate, more empathetic to people and just make the world a better place. Uh, so <laughs> before I get really cheesy, I'm going to round out the episode there. And I hope you can join me again on Wednesday when we are joined by Lindsay Preston. So have a good couple of days and I will speak to you Wednesday. Take care. Bye. <laughs>